Father, as we just sang in that last song, we want to worship your holy name and do so properly. Father, I'm so convicted studying for and then giving our Sunday school lesson when I see all the things that come in my heart before you. In the course of that song, we sing the phrase, you are my everything. Oh, Father, if that were true in my heart, I would never have a problem with idolatry. Help us to want to get to that place. We know that we have your Holy Spirit living within us that can help us get to that place, can help us study your word and learn. Father, again, we want to lift our pastor before you. We thank you for him, for the teaching that he provides to us. Lord, Lord, we are so spoiled in the way we walk out of here every week with so much of your truth given to our hearts. We thank you for that. And now as, as, as he's sick, Lord, we just lift him up and ask for healing. Lord, we ask that he would feel your presence in a special way today and that he would feel our prayers and our love. We pray for Miss Sammy as she cares for him. Lord, tomorrow we just pray you'd give doctors wisdom above their learning and above their experience to see exactly what they need to see when they do the testing tomorrow. And We pray you would continue just to strengthen him and re restore his health. Now, Father, we lift up Brother Isaac again, thanking you for him, thanking you for his diligence to study and to be ready. We benefit from that today and his willingness to stand and proclaim your word. We pray that you would allow him to do that and get out everything that just as he studied. And Lord, that we will be receptive and good listeners. May your name be glorified in this place today. In Jesus' name I pray. Brother Isaac, come and share. Would you welcome him to the pulpit? Thank you very much. Please be seated. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's always an honor to, to be able to do this. And, you know, uh, we don't know if Pastor Greg is watching right now, if he's trying to rest. Uh, he's had some restless nights. Um, we do want to pray that he, uh, he gets better soon. Um, we always enjoy listening to him. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We're not entirely sure how long this will take, if it'll be just today, if, it'll, if Pastor Greg's going to need a little bit more time after he gets back from the hospital. Um, so this, we're not entirely sure. It's kind of up in the air with what the doctors want to do. So we might be taking a little bit of a break from Exodus, but for sure we will take a break from Exodus today. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4. Please go with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 6. Um, this is actually, uh, if our students who are uh, here right now probably just heard 1 John chapter 4, um, youth students, this is going to sound very similar to what we just talked about on Wednesday. Um, we're gonna, it's going to be a little bit of a different format. There's a difference in the teaching and the, and the preaching of God's Word, but it will sound very similar. So please don't tune out. Uh, listen for things that maybe you didn't hear beforehand, but church family, um, you should know that we've been going through the book of 1 John with our students um, line by line, uh, section by section, 
trying to grasp as much as we can from 1 John and to see where, where does God's word speak directly to situations now. Um, so what we've been doing with that is we've been taking some time discussing a little bit of who, who is writing the book of John as well as anybody who gets into to scripture needs to, to understand kind of what's going on, who's writing it, Who's it being written to? We don't have time to go into all of the backstory. Basically, what you need to know is that the, the disciple John, who wrote John's gospel, was writing this very letter. The disciple John, who wrote John's gospel, was writing this letter. He's writing it to people that he has a close, personal relationship with. Um, people that he has helped uh, within the early church at the time, in the areas that he was in. Um, they are the ones who are benefiting from this letter. They are people that he cares for. He's in his, his uh, late age, uh, probably around the 80s or 90s um, of his age. And so he's an older person. He addresses the, uh, the, the believers in this letter in very uh, endearing ways. Little children, beloved, uh, my children. Uh, he's not talking just to little kids. Um, he's talking to adults. He's talking to those who are members of the body, and he wants them to know that he loves them. He wants them to know not just that he loves them, but that that love only root, is only rooted in the love that God has for us. Uh, same today. Same today. We, uh, we cannot know love, and we cannot show love horizontally until we understand love vertically. Um, understanding who we are, what love, um, what God has shown to us through his love, and only then are we truly able to accurately and biblically show love to one another. And so John is writing to this. He's writing to, um, to these people who are struggling, struggling people, because there has been this overwhelming presence of people within the early church, especially within, within the people that um, John's writing to, his audience, who have been hearing false teachings, who have been hearing false gospels, false information, things that go against what Scripture and what Christ himself has taught. And so what we find here in 1 John chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to see how and why it's important to know those who are false, the false teachings, the false prophets, those who attempt to steal, rob, or destroy the glory of God for their own desires. A lot of the thing that John writes about is written based on his eyewitness account of Jesus' life. A person who was there, the beloved disciple, as he writes about himself in his own gospels, heard Jesus' words, saw Jesus, ate with Jesus, was, there, was the only one left at the, at the cross after everyone else abandoned him. The overwhelming and predominant teaching of the day was the idea of Gnosticism. It comes from a Greek word that means to know, to have this knowledge. But the Gnostics were, were shrouding biblical knowledge, understanding who God really is based on how he has revealed himself through his word and through Christ. And they were saying, well, it's a secret kind of knowledge. It's this ability to have this mystical, heightened spiritual understanding that is only for those who are intellectual enough to understand it, gifted enough to receive it, and it honestly would go far above anybody in this room's head. This is what was being taught, that you had to be an elite follower of Jesus 
to be able to discern these spiritual things, which in reality, they go far beyond what God's Word says. And instead, it was rather, instead of God's Word being the final authority, it was man's opinions. And I'm sure you're already beginning to connect the dots. That has not been a new invention. That, is not, that does not exist as a new concept today. That man's opinions always try to triumph over God's written authority. Uh, Pastor, those of you who know uh, Pastor John MacArthur, he writes this about the early church that John's writing to. He says, Gnosticism was influenced by philosophers such as Plato, who advocated dualism, asserting that matter was inherently evil and only the spiritual was good. As a result of this presupposition, these false teachers, although attributing some form of deity to Christ, denied his true humanity to preserve him from evil. Because Gnosticism teaches that the physical is evil. Only the spiritual is what matters. So therefore, Jesus was not truly man. And we can talk about the implications and the, 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 the condemnation that comes from that later on. But he also says that they claimed elevated knowledge, a higher truth known only to those who understand the deeper things. Only the initiated had this mystical knowledge of truth that was even higher than the Scriptures. Instead of divine revelation standing as judge over man's ideas, man's ideas judged God's revelation. And it's important for us today to not only understand that, there, that these things exist, but to understand where does that conflict and where can we stand firmly on God's word. Before we get into the text, John chapter 4, it's important for us to understand or it's a, it's a helpful word picture for us to be able to understand how uh, members of the, um, I can't remember exactly the, the, the long title, the Department of um, Financial Social, Social Service or Secret Service, who, basically people that study money. People who study not just economics, but study actual bills in order to keep from being given counterfeits. There's a process through which Government agents are taught how to identify false currency, particularly $100 bills. You want to avoid those as much as possible, right? So what they do is they go through a lengthy process of dissecting and studying not just the false things, though that is highly important, that is involved in the process, but they study the true thing. So then they're able to compare, why is this one true, why is this one false? Why is this one accurate? Why does this one hold value? And why does this one mean nothing more than monopoly money? So when we understand the, the, the correlation between understanding not just what the Scriptures say, but understanding also those who are teaching against the Scripture, we can better understand and identify for ourselves how God has spoken, and how that is the final authority. And that ultimately influences every area of our lives. So with that being said, let us read verses 1 through 6. We'll pray, and then we'll dive into this morning's sermon. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is, from, er, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Please bear with me. Father, we come to you only through your Son, the mediator between you and us. We're able to do so because we have your Spirit living within us, guiding us into all truth, convicting us of sin and illuminating to our minds and our hearts your truth. Lord, help us to not overlook things, simple things, Things that seem so ubiquitous because of the, the world in which we live. Help us not to overlook the things that are so commonplace that they begin to um, just fade into the background. Lord, help us to know truth. Help us to understand and be able to discern for ourselves the truth. Help us to be like the Bereans today, Lord, that we examine everything according to your word. Lord, I pray that at that point, we're able not only to defend ourselves against the false teachings and ultimately against the, the father of lies, the devil himself, but we're able to fight against sin. We're able to fight against ignorance. We're able to fight against hatred. We're able to fight against racism. We're able to fight against false teachings, against heresies that have existed for for generations, we're able to truly, truly fight for righteousness, to fight in righteousness, solely because of what your Son has done for us. Well, we want to stand on the truth of Hebrews that in the former days you've spoken through the prophets, but today you speak to us through your Son. So I pray that as we open these scriptures and as we talk about them, Lord, may you be glorified in the reading of your word today, and in us applying it to our lives. And in your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. John starts very commonly, like I, like I already mentioned, beloved. He wants them to know th this, is not some, this is not some guest speaker sit writing this letter to, to, a, to a congregation that have no idea who he is. They understand John. They understand that not only was he someone who loved them very much, but he was also someone who walked with Jesus. He even begins his letter by saying the things that we've heard from the beginning, not just from Christ himself, but also going back even further, back to the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus. Everything in the New Testament points back to Jesus. And so when he says all of these things that we have heard from the beginning, things that we have seen, things that we have 
touched. We have understood who Christ was, not just in this mystical, spiritual understanding of knowledge, but in a very real, tangible way. We've touched him with our hands. We've heard these words with our ears. We've seen him with our eyes. It was made manifest to us. It wasn't just this hallucination that we all just made something up together and began to believe in this man, Jesus. He anchors his address to them in the love that he has for them, the love that stems from the love that God has for us. And what does, he, what does he tell us? At least in this section, he commands us, do not believe. There are things that God commands us to not believe. The majority of the time, we want to talk about the things that God tells us to believe, but we also need to key into the things that he tells us not to believe. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. This idea of spirit calls into the same, the same language that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians when he talks about the armor of God. In Ephesians, he's speaking about putting on the full armor of God, knowing that we're in a battle against not flesh and blood, but against the, the spiritual forces of darkness. The spirit of false teaching, the spirit of those who are wanting nothing more than to use God use the language of God, and even twist God's very words for their own corrupt desires. And please do not look spiritual at me as though that's this horrible thing, because we all do it too. One of Paul's, one of Paul's most direct and confrontational letter is 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not realize that the immoral, the idolatrous, will not inherit the kingdom of God, but so were some of you. Such were some of us. That's who we were before this. We wanted nothing more than to live our lives and to add God onto it just to justify what we want. What, Paul is, what, what, what John is saying in 1 John about do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God is, this, is anchoring in how we can know things. To not just know them intellectually but also to put them into practice, to believe those things. You will find no person in the world who does not live out what they believe. Every person in the world on the face of the planet, old, new, current, they live based on what they believe. You want to know what some, somebody believes? Spend some time with them. They can claim that they believe certain things, but if they don't live those things out, then that doesn't mean anything. We live based on how we view things. We live based on our beliefs. If we believe that stealing is wrong, we're probably going to live that way. If we believe that lying is wrong, then we probably ought to live that way. But so, many, so much of the time, our lives and our actions do not ad adequately reflect what we truly believe. So then, your actions are the truest window through which we see what you believe. He's saying this cannot be for the child of God because it's not about what you believe. It's not about your opinions. It's not about our feelings. It's not about this, this mystical, emotional understanding and living out our, our, our best thoughts, our best intentions. It's about using a standard. It's about using a, a true source. One of, the, one of the first places that when he talks about for many fa false prophets have gone out into the world, one of the first things that you need to know about false prophets is that they have a different source. They have a different authority by which they judge all things. A lot of the time, that source is themselves. 
A lot of the time, their, their source is their own opinions. We do the same thing as well, but a false teacher is someone who does not adhere to the Scriptures as the final authority. He even says that in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So the opposite, those who do not confess Jesus Christ and those who do not confess that He has come in the flesh, a different source and a different authority. Sure, they may have good arguments. Sure, they may say a lot of things that sound good, but anything that people hold up as, this is why I live my life, this is what forms my belief system, this is what sets up my worldview, if it is not anchored in the truth of Scripture, it's going to crumble. If it is not anchored in the truth of Scripture, it ought not be believed. And here's what we ought to understand. Scripture has made it very clear. God's made it very clear to us. Universally, every person believes in God. Every person. All of you in this room believe in God. How do I know that? Because God himself has said very clearly in Romans chapter 1 that all people know who God is, and yet what do they do? They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And so they are without excuse. Yes, creation does testify to who God is. Yes, our conscience testifies to God's existence. But the standard, the absolute authority above all of those things are God's very words himself. That's where we go to. That's, what the, that, that's the deciding factor for us. And it ought to be. Because how can you test anything if you're studying the wrong material? How can you get ready to pay your taxes if you go to a taxidermy? Someone's coming to knock on your door after, Mar after April 15th. If you've gone about a year or so, you start getting those letters in the mail. Oh, I did taxidermy. I didn't do my taxes. You've got to go to the source. You've got to go to the established standard. We talk to our students about how can you pass trigonometry if you're studying world history. You're in for a rude, rude awakening. But in order to test anything, in order to test the spirits, there has to be a standard. There has to be a set guide to which we can judge all things, to which we can put these things to, to the test so we can stand anchored in the truth with the full armor of God, knowing that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not your coworker who believes differently than you are, believes differently than you do. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not your spouse who is different than you are. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's spiritual. And when we begin to see things the way that God sees things, the way that God says things, we are more adequately prepared to fight against false teachings and to be motivated to love people the way that God has called us to. second thing to identify a false teacher is that they have a different message. They not only use a different source, they not only use an appeal to a different authority, they have a different message entirely. And a lot of the time, it's very subtle. Great crusades happen in a place like India, where the predominant religion is polytheism, 
the belief that multiple gods exist and therefore ought to be equally worshipped. But what's one more? If Jesus stands as God and we go to India like we have before and we tell them that Jesus is God, sure, just add him to the list. But sometimes it's not as contrasted as that. Sometimes it's even more subtle to where we live our lives based on the good works that we do and we just add Jesus onto it. I'm a good person. I'm moral. We're like the rich young ruler. I've done all these great things. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. In fact, it's funny in the, in the, par- in the story of the rich young ruler when Jesus interacts with him, he says, do you not know that no one is good? Why do you call me good? Do you not know that only God is good? And then two verses later, he says, yep, me too. We deceive ourselves. If we're not using Scripture as a way to not only test others, but also to test ourselves and to hold it up as a mirror through which we are able to see who we are clearly, then we're deceiving ourselves. John makes this very tangible for us before this and after this when he talks about how we love others. If we claim to have love for God, but we have hatred in our hearts towards our brother, then you truly do not understand what that love is. And in fact, that love does probably not even exist within your heart. But there's a different message. That yeah, you can, you can go to church, you can believe whatever you want to believe, just add Jesus' name at the end of your prayers and you're good. Pray before your meals and you're fine, you're taken care of. Your eternal destiny is not really at stake. It's more about your happiness. It's more about you receiving blessings in this life. Anything plus Christ is not the gospel. It's Christ and it's Christ alone. He's made it very clear to us. Even when he says in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. He explains that and fleshes that out for us in chapter 2 of 1 John. Verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Not just that they are coming, they're already here. They even went out from us, but they were not of us. They gave the appearance of knowing Christ. They maybe even knew some of these things and were able to even record and to to call back some of these great highlights that God did. But there's a difference between having intellectual knowledge and having relational knowledge of who God is. Having saving knowledge of who God is. By grace through faith, because he goes on and says, they went out, down in verse 19, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us but you have been anointed by the Holy One. The difference between those who know about God and those who are known by God is the presence of the Holy Spirit within them. I can know all the things in the world about any number of people, any number of things. That's far different. I can know everything, I could know everything about Michael Jordan. doesn't mean I actually understand, know him and have a personal relationship with him. 
I could go to his house randomly if I even know where he lived. Talk to him about all the things that he did, all the great accomplishments. If I somehow get past his security and get up to his front door and actually meet him and not somebody who like, lives at his house and like, works for him and tell him all about the championships he won, all the different things about you know, what kind of uh, phenomenal athlete he was and how he inspired me to be an athlete, which not really the case, but how he inspired me to be an athlete or whatever, he'd probably say, that's great, but you can find that on the internet. Now get out of here. I have no idea who you are. Well, no, Michael, it's me. It's me. It's Isaac, right? Even if I met him at one point, I never met Michael Jordan, but even if I met him at one point and I told him about the time that we met, he'll be like, yeah, so? Because you can know intellectually without truly being known in a relationship with who God is. In fact, Christ anchors this, which you, uh, in the, in, back in John, 1 John 4, verse 3, he not only says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, he says, which you have which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Remember, John is an eyewitness to who Christ was. He heard his teachings. He heard the things that he had to say about the fruit. John chapter 15 is all about if you do not know God, you will not bear the right fruit. Matthew also records this for us because he was an eyewitness as well. Matthew chapter 7 he, uh, is where uh, this is kind of an anchor point for us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then verse 18, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. We are understood to, have, to be recognized by the fruit that we bear. The fruit is not the anchor point for our salvation, but it is the natural result of our salvation. He even says back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We cannot do the will of the Father. You can attempt it, but you cannot truly do the will of the Father the way that the Father has told, told us and made it explicit to us through the Scriptures. We cannot even a, attempt to do those things the way that God pleases, the, the way that God has affirmed without the help of the Spirit, without the work of saving faith through the Spirit. There are different essentials that false teachers try to prioritize. Healings were, were a big one. Secret knowledge, like what we see here in, in, in 1 John. And they would willingly deny things that are so basic and so absolutely um, cruxes for our faith. The Trinity, the fact that God is three persons, one being. Many people deny that the humanity and the, the divinity of Christ himself, that he was truly God and truly man. To deny either of those aspects is to fall into the category of false understanding and false information. Different, other different essentials would be to, to claim that Jesus in some way was a created being, which is not too far off from what the Gnostics believe. Sorry, the opposite. He was not a created being. He was only spiritual. He was only God. Because if Gnosticism is all about the spiritual, 
then for Jesus to ever come and be with us is to violate his holiness. But the, 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 the fact that Christ was fully God, fully man, he was able not only to satisfy God's holy, righteous wrath towards sin, but he did it in our place as our substitute. These are the things that we need to be aware of. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 8, he gives a, a very clear explanation as well as to the, the characteristics of a false prophet. Jeremiah 29, verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets, your diviners, who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. There's this understanding that we have to be able to identify and stand firm on what God has truly said. We cannot just accept every teaching. We cannot accept every doctrine. We need to be able to stand firm in what we understand. And there's this under, there's this dominating viewpoint that doctrine is somehow so divisive and it's, it's, it's only for a certain class of people. It's for people who are in ministry. It's for people who teach in seminaries. No, doctrine is divisive and it's supposed to be when it's, when it's accurate, when it's biblical, but it's for every person for us to know who God truly is and how he has revealed himself. Not only different essentials, messages, authorities, they also have a different goal in mind. False prophets have a different goal. They have a different end to why they do the things that they do. The goal is not necessarily to give God glory. It's to steal that, rob him of that, and to hold it for themselves. And again, what is so important is to make the connection that we are not far off from that that we live in the flesh and are constantly fighting the battle of trying to steal God's glory for ourselves. Isaiah says that even our most righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags. Even our best attempts. That's why it's so important to live in the power of the Spirit, to be walking with the Spirit, to be walking in the steps of, of God Himself in the plan and in the instruction of the Lord. Verse 4, I think, it's, I think it's not only an endearing thing, I also think that John is also calling their attention to the fact that they still, there's still room for them to grow. In verse 4, he says, little children, you are from God, and you've overcome these deceivers. Little children, there's still room to grow, but you are from God. How quickly are we as children of God, as born-again believers, how quickly are we to believe the lies of the deceiver, of the devil, and to completely omit the promises of God? I do it on a regular basis. There are times that I, it, it, it astounds me to see that my identity is anchored in the promises of who God is and what he has said but so many times I flee that and, and start believing the condemnation, the guilt, and the words of a liar. 
You do that. I do that. The goal is to rob God of the glory that He deserves. And then the different motivation. What motivates a false teacher? Glory for themselves. What motivates us to, to deceive ourselves? Glory for ourselves. John MacArthur also said in the sermon, he said, how can a deceived person know he is deceived? How can we spot someone who is being deceived? Look for people who are seeking feelings, blessings, experiences, healings, angels, etc. That are only interested in the byproducts of the faith and not in Christ, who is the prime product of our faith. So not only how do we identify and how do we have understanding of what these false teachers are, are, are preaching, how do we better avoid them in ourselves and allowing ourselves to be deceived, we hold up the standard of God's word. It says, for he, in verse 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God is greater. We have, we have overcome because of the fact that we are his children. We have surrendered to God placing our faith in Him and in Him alone for our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in sin and trespasses, once children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which He loved us, through Christ, has forgiven us of those things. Verse 8, that by faith or by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not a gift of your, this is not a, um, something of your own that anyone should boast, but it's a gift from God. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, when it talks about by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is, not a, this is a gift from God, not that any man should boast, we rightly understand that the grace is the gift, and it is. But the closest antecedent to the gift that he's speaking of is faith. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, which is a gift from God, not that any man should boast. Even the faith that we have that saves us cannot come from ourselves, cannot come from inside of us, because we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. What can a dead man believe? What can a dead man trust in? That's why Paul is so adamant in Romans chapter 8, Lord, deliver me, or Romans chapter 7, deliver me from this body of death. This flesh that we carry with us that is slowly killing us. We need to be set free from it. Verse 5, this is not something that appeals to the world. It says, the Antichrist, the false prophets... Those who have the spirit of the false prophet, which again, the spirit of the false prophet is those who do not confess that Jesus is from God. They are from the world. And therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. It sounds very appealing. The world's message sounds very appealing. It sounds so much easier. But ease and contentment and and happiness is not the goal. Again, that's a different motivation. That's a different goal. That's a different end. That's a different message. The goal of the Christian life is not 
simply to have a comfortable lifestyle. It's to follow Christ. Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. What's the good? The greatest good you could ever receive is to be more like Christ. The greatest blessing you could ever receive is to be conformed to His image more and more every day until you see Him face to face. Verse 6, we are from God. Again, that is not to beat our chest, to scream it from the rooftops, I've done it. We are from God. Just in that short phrase hangs the very anchor of our faith. We can't be from God unless it's God himself through Christ having given us his Holy Spirit. And whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But by this, he uses the same phrase here in verse 6 that he did in verse 2. The actual translation would probably be more so, this is how you can recognize. This is how you may know definitively. Not based on emotional experience. Not based on mystical intelligence, but you can have definitive understanding that the, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, because we are from God, we have the spirit and are able to identify what is error. This, this leads us to not only know God definitively, it helps us to fight sin effectively. Look at me uh, again in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, finally, be strong in the Lord, verses verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, against his lies, against his deceit, against his condemnation. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The cool thing is, in Ephesians chapter 1, he already establishes for us who's in the heavenly places. And it's Christ. And in Christ, we have been blessed with all blessings in the heavenly places. So again, even our fight ought to be anchored in our identity in Christ. He goes on to list all of these different aspects of our armor. And we know these from, from, from children's church. We know these from... Um, way back when we were growing up in church, if we have grown up in church, if not, this is a great place to go to to start memorizing how God has equipped us to be able to fight against these things. He says the whole armor of God. He gives us the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We've given, been given the shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one to take the helmet of salvation. But notice that all of those things, all of those elements of our warfare against being deceived and against those who are trying to deceive us, those are all defensive elements. Protective. Things by which we can be better guarded. But the only weapon we get is the only weapon we need. 
the only offensive weapon that we have is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Yeah, we need the defensive armor, and every single bit of it is important. But if we're only playing defense, there's no real ground being made up. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the way that we are able to go onto the offense and do what he says in Romans chapter 8, to kill sin. John Knox, an early Presbyterian reformer. I know there's issues with Presbyterians, but the truth still stands. John Knox said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing the deception. Be killing the motivation to follow Christ just for the byproducts. Be killing the external source by which you judge all things that is in addition to or in replace of the Scriptures, that we might fight sin effectively. But also that we might live life confidently. Notice I said confidently, not arrogantly. Because if they're a day and age very similar to ours today, this idea of secret knowledge, man's revelation, man's desires, man's opinions determining how we should live our lives aside from God's specific and special revelation. And he uses words like in verse 2, by this you may know the Spirit of God. It's not arrogant, but that's confidence. That's not arrogance to make us puff up our chests because that's what the Corinthians were doing. First Corinthians chapter, chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Not only to live confidently, but we can love people genuinely because we understand where that love comes from. We can show love. We can extend love. And sometimes the most loving thing you can do is take a stand against the things that are not true. And yeah, it might offend people, but we have the most offensive thing in the history of humanity. And we cling to it. The most offensive thing in the history of humanity is the message of Jesus Christ dying for sinners. The cross is foolishness. It's offensive to those who are perishing. But they cannot understand it. They cannot discern it because it is not something that you can just simply force them to understand it is a divine work of God giving saving faith to those whom He has chosen. But we can know God definitively. That's why He says, not just that Jesus came and is from God, He says He's come in the flesh. Remember, they wanted to do away with the flesh because only the spiritual was important. John says, no. Christ did not come just spiritually. He came the same way that you and I do. We can know God definitively, fight sin effectively, live confidently, and love people genuinely. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We'll, leave, we'll end with this, John eight thirty six. 
from the Spirit comes freedom, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Quit clinging to the sin, to the deception, to the condemnation where God has spoken authoritatively, you are mine, walk in my way. Verse John, chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. We don't keep His commandments in order to receive His love, but we keep His commandments because we have received His love. Fight against the deception. Fight against the condemnation. Trust in Christ. Study the authentic, the real thing in order to better understand the wrong thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, this time that we were able to spend studying your word, the time that Pastor Greg teaches us your word as well, this is the time that we ought to look most forward to. Yes, the music is wonderful, and Brother Dale and the people involved in the music do such a great job of helping stir our hearts and helping us to focus our minds on you. But Lord, this, opening your word, not only hearing how it applies to us, but just hearing it read, that your spirit would wash over us and enlighten our hearts and our minds to know who you are and to, to, to live according to your standard and live according to your commandments and to love you more and love, our, love other people the way that you have commanded us to do so. This is what we seek more so than the songs. More so than the experience. More so than how it makes us feel. More so than just intellectual understanding but that we might have a closer relationship with you by knowing you more, and we do so through your word. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be able to, to study your word together and to hear this message. How we praise you, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you.